Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, 330 years ago, a wave of mass hysteria struck a small village on the North Shore of Massachusetts. Neighbors accused each other of witchcraft and the pious judges were quick to hand down baseless convictions and subsequent executions. The victims of Gallows Hill still haunt the buildings and streets of Salem, Massachusetts to this day. This is episode number 52 of Hometown Ghost Stories, The Ghosts of the Salem Witch Trials, Salem, Massachusetts, Part 1. Salem, Massachusetts, September 19th, 1978. Sheriff Cahill closed the door to his office and headed to his official police vehicle. His shift had just ended and he couldn't get out the door fast enough. But he had been feeling the usual shortness of breath that had been increasingly getting worse over the past few weeks. Feeling all right, boss? A deputy walking towards him from the parking lot had apparently noticed the sheriff's visible discomfort. He just waved his hand dismissively, unwilling to attempt to muster the breath necessary for a verbal response. He'd heard the men at the station muttering amongst one another about the curse, but didn't buy into all that superstitious nonsense. 286 years ago to the day, Giles Corey had placed a curse on Sheriff Corwin in the village of Salem. Corwin suffered a fatal heart attack at the age of 30, not long after, and every sheriff who served after him, all the way up to Sheriff Cahill, was affected similarly. Coincidence, he said out loud as he got into his car. Nothing but a lousy coincidence, he repeated as he pulled out of the lot. About a quarter mile down the road, the crackling voice of Ellen, the dispatcher, burst through the police radio. Disturbance on Howard Street, requesting a unit. Typically, the sheriff wouldn't respond to this type of call, but he happened to be driving down Howard Street at that exact moment, and he figured he could use a distraction. Got an address? He responded into the radio, and waited for a reply. A moment went by, and another voice came through the radio. A deep, raspy voice barked. More wait, it seemed to say. Come again? He responded, confused. Ellen's voice came through again. North Gate, she said. The disturbance was reported at the north gate of the cemetery, she added. 10-4, he said, as he threw the vehicle into park. The sun had just disappeared below the tree line on the horizon, casting an orange glow at the base of the purple dusk sky. The sheriff took out his flashlight, but didn't click it on just yet. He could still see clearly. He gave a cursory look around the cemetery, but didn't see anything out of place. He stepped through the gate and immediately felt his heart rate increase. He took a deep breath, trying to ignore it. Just then, out of the corner of his eye, he saw someone standing beside a tree in the corner of the cemetery. 
He clicked on his flashlight and shined it in that direction. There was nobody there, but he was suddenly struck with an unsettling feeling because the light from the flashlight wasn't lighting up the shadows as it should have. He took a step forward, and the light still failed to illuminate the shadow in the corner. He stopped short as he was suddenly struck by the feeling of someone watching him. He turned around and found himself staring directly at the emaciated face of a naked old man standing on the other side of the cemetery, pointing at him with pale eyes, mouth agape. The sheriff clutched his chest and fell to one knee. The man began drifting towards him, pointing at him with his old jaw drooping. He moved as if he were gliding without moving his legs, and the last thing the sheriff saw before losing consciousness was the old man disappear. I'm Dave Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Salem, Massachusetts. Salem, Massachusetts was founded in 1626 by Roger Conant and associates of his that all came from a fishing settlement in Cape Ann. This would happen four years before Boston was formed, and it is the second oldest settlement in the state. Despite this rich history for the City of Peace, it is known widely for another reason. When you say Salem out loud, the first thing people are going to respond with is, witches, and rightfully so. Contrary to popular belief, though, Salem wasn't where the trials for witches in the state of Massachusetts began. In 1641, England would establish the death penalty for witchcraft. On June 15, 1648, the first execution for witchcraft in Massachusetts would happen in Charlestown. Margaret Jones had a quarrel with some of her neighbors, and after this, some mischief befell their cattle. She would go on to be tried as a witch convicted, and executed. Her husband Thomas would be released from prison later and try to flee back to England on the ship called Welcome. The ship was having issues with staying balanced, and Thomas would get into an argument with the captain during this. Once they found out he was the husband of a convicted witch, they locked him up, and it was reported as soon as they did, the ship no longer had any issues for the rest of the voyage. In 1688, a housekeeper by the name of Anne Glover was accused of witchcraft by Martha Goodwin, the daughter of the family she was working for in Boston. Martha and several of her siblings were demonstrating strange behavior. Uncharacteristic fits and body contortions, animal-like movements, and terrifying sounds were some of the symptoms on display by the children. A doctor examining them could find no cause, so naturally, he blamed witchcraft. Goody Glover, as she was referred to, would be tried and hanged on November 16, 1688, and her trial would become part of the template for the Salem trials. Back in the 1690s, there were essentially two Salems. Salem Town, which was focused more on business and importing and exporting products. And then there was Salem Village, which was more of an agricultural community. On October 16, 1691, a meeting was called for a growing conflict among the church members. One group was trying to associate more with Salem Town, and they were going to stop paying the Reverend Samuel Paris in order to make this happen. Paris would begin to openly preach that there was a conspiracy, satanic in nature, being brought against him and the church. 
In mid-January 1692, the daughter of Samuel Paris, Elizabeth, better known as Betty, and her relative Abigail Williams, began to act a bit off. The 9- and 12-year-old girls' bodies were making jerky, erratic movements, and they were constantly making strange noises. Also, the girls were often complaining of tense headaches. Doctors would try to treat the girls for a little over a month. When nothing would cure them, one doctor diagnosed the girls as being touched by the evil hand. At this time, a neighbor of the Paris family, Mary Sibley, told one of the slaves of the Paris family, John Indian, to make a witch's cake to find out the name of the witches that cast a spell on the children. A witch's cake was baked with the urine of the person supposedly affected by witchcraft and then fed to a dog. If the dog then were to show strange behavior after eating it, this would be proof of witchcraft. Once it began to act weird, the dog would then lead you back to the witch. There were no results, and Samuel Paris was furious. He said it was going to the devil for help against the devil. Mary would be denounced by her church for a short time until she issued an apology that they then accepted. At the end of the month, Betty and Abigail began to accuse the family slave Tichiba as the witch responsible for placing a curse on them. A few days later, they would also accuse Sarah Good, who was a local homeless woman, and Sarah Osborne as witches as well. The three women would be taken in and questioned by local magistrates. Tichiba would confess during these interrogations and claim the other two women to be witches as well. Sarah Good was sent to stay on house arrest with a constable, who also happened to be a relative, and she would escape for a short time before voluntarily returning. What's strange about this is while she was on the run, a woman named Elizabeth Hubbard claimed that a ghost-like image of Sarah Good had visited her that evening and tormented her. This wouldn't be the only claim of a witch's spirit visiting and wreaking havoc on a person. Many of these interrogations were overseen by Jonathan Corwin. Shelley was on a historical tour of the infamous witch house with her mother. Shelley loved history, and this was how they were celebrating her 11th birthday, touring historic Salem, Massachusetts. The tour began on the first floor, and Shelley marveled at all the old furniture as the tour guide spoke about Judge Jonathan Corwin, who lived there, and even interrogated women accused of witchcraft there back in 1692. Although no witches had ever lived there, the house was known as the Witch House and is the only remaining structure from the time of the witch trials. Jonathan Corwin and his wife had ten children, but all but four of them died at a very young age. Shelley found all of this fascinating. As they moved through the first floor, the guide showed the group the room where Judge Corwin would meet and discuss the arrests of Bridget Bishop, Sarah Good, Tituba, and Martha Corey, with his friend and fellow judge, John Hathorne. The two of them would go on to imprison and execute 19 people of witchcraft. Just then, Shelley thought she saw a little boy out of the corner of her eye near the stairs leading to the second floor. She turned to look in his direction, but when she did, he was gone. She wanted to go after him, but the guide began talking about something that caught her interest. Sarah Good, one of the accused witches, had a four-year-old daughter named Dorothy. When her mother was arrested of suspicion of witchcraft, 
Dorothy was also arrested and imprisoned. It was rumored that Judge Corrin himself interrogated little Dorothy in the witch house, but the report was unconfirmed. Shelley was horrified for the girl. She couldn't imagine the terror she must have felt. The tour took a break, and Shelley's mother was chatting with the tour guide, so Shelley decided now was a good time to break away and explore the upper floor. She was curious about the little boy she saw. She crept up the stairs and looked around. She didn't see anyone. She tried the handle of the door in the hallway, but it was locked from the other side, so she turned and walked in the other direction. She was thinking about how sad it must have been for the Corwins to have lost so many of their children when she heard a click from behind her. She turned and saw that the door she had just discovered to be locked had somehow swung open. She peered into the room. It was dark. She was about to call out when she heard the voice of a child, possibly the little boy. She took a step into the dark room and immediately the door slammed shut behind her. She spun around and tried to open it, but it was locked again. She began tugging on the handle when she felt a cold breath on the back of her neck. She felt the little strands of hair stand up, and she whirled around to see who was behind her, but it was too dark. She was too scared to scream. The silence was deafening. As her eyes began to adjust, she could just barely make out the shadow of a child against the wall, but couldn't make out any features. It wasn't the boy she saw earlier. That much she could tell. It was definitely a little girl. Suddenly, the small dark figure glided towards her, and a voice that sounded very far away said, I want my mom. I want my mom. I want my mom. Shelley squeezed her eyes shut, just as the door behind her opened back up. The girls weren't done, and in fact others would join them claiming to be under the spell of witchcraft, including Anne Putnam Jr., They would go on to accuse many of witchcraft over the following months. Rebecca Nurse was 71 and a respected member of her church, yet Abigail said not only was she a witch, but she tried to get her to sign the devil's book. Dorothy Good, the four-year-old daughter of Sarah Good, would be interrogated, and it was claimed that she gave them a confession that her mother was a witch. The girls would then go on to claim that the specters of Elizabeth and John Proctor would visit them and torment them as well. Very shortly after this, the Proctors and even their kids would be arrested for witchcraft, as would Dorothy Good, who, remember, was only four years old. The Corey family would be accused of trying to get people to sign the Devil's Book as well, and we'll get to the plight of that family very shortly. Many more would continue to be accused of witchcraft. Then in June of 1692, the executions would begin. On June 10th, Bridget Bishop would hang just two days after being found guilty of witchcraft. Sarah Good, Susanna Martin, Sarah Wilds, and Elizabeth Howe would all be found guilty of witchcraft at the end of the month. Rebecca Nurse would be found innocent, but after public outrage, her verdict would be reversed. The governor would then issue a reprieve for her, but this would also be met with public outrage, and she once again would be marked as guilty. July 19th, All of these women, including Rebecca Nurse, would be executed by hanging. Sarah Good, from the gallows, would curse the presiding clergyman by the name of Nicholas Noyes, saying, If you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. 
Noise would die years later abruptly and unexpectedly from a hemorrhage in his mouth. Despite Martha Corey's faith and her peaceful nature, she was accused of witchcraft. This caught most residents of the village off guard, since she was considered a woman of God and a positive influence on the community. All the women accused of witchcraft before her were easy convictions as far as the villagers were concerned, but not Martha. That is, not until her trial. Martha's apparent indifference and dismissive tones regarding the accusations raised suspicions and ended up being misinterpreted as guilt by Judge Hathorne. She was originally arrested because her husband, 81-year-old Giles Corey, had mentioned that she had been reading books, and after reading, it sometimes affected her ability to pray. The court officials automatically assumed the books Giles had mentioned must have been books on witchcraft and ordered her arrest. Giles immediately regretted mentioning the books, fearing for his wife's fate, and testified in her defense, recanting his statements about the books. The girls who led the accusations claimed that Martha Corey practiced fortune-telling, a claim that Martha outright denied. Anne Putnam, one of Martha's accusers, began pretending Martha was controlling her body, flailing and crying out in pain. Following Martha's arrest, many other wives in Salem were also arrested. Among these women were Rebecca Nurse and Elizabeth Proctor. Giles Corey rushed to the house of John Proctor to warn him, but he was too late. Giles Corey, John Proctor, and Francis Nurse collected 91 signatures from the people of Salem, stating that their wives were good women, falsely accused of witchcraft. The courts rejected the petition. The court's suspicions of Giles Corey's behavior quickly morphed into accusations of witchcraft, and he was eventually also arrested. Accused of being a warlock, Giles Corey refused to accept the allegations. He even refused to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. Without a plea, Puritan law prevented the court from beginning a trial, so the judges opted for the legal solution of the time, pien forte adere, a process where the prisoner was stripped naked and heavy boards were laid on their body. Then boulders were laid on top of the boards, one by one, slowly crushing a confession, or in this case, a plea out of their defendant. The pressing of Giles Corey began on September 17th and lasted two days. The process was led by Sheriff George Corwin, and every time Corwin demanded a plea, Corey responded by saying, More weight. On September 19, 1692, Giles Corey finally succumbed to the crushing weight and rasped with his dying breath, Damn you, Corwin. I curse you in Salem. He never entered a plea. He was buried in an unmarked grave in what is now known as the Howard Street Cemetery, where it's said he still haunts. The curse Giles placed on Sheriff Corwin lived on for three centuries until 1991, when the sheriff's office moved out of Salem, breaking the curse that afflicted generations of sheriffs with blood disease and heart failure. His ghost still lingers in the Howard Street Cemetery and is most commonly known for showing up before a major tragedy. People claimed to have seen his apparition before the death of a loved one. 
1914, right before the Great Salem Fire, which destroyed nearly 1,400 buildings and left over 18,000 people homeless, a ghostly figure of an old man was seen hovering through the cemetery. The fire started near Gallows Hill, the site of his wife Martha's hanging. Giles Corey sent a shockwave through Salem, as he didn't fit the stereotypical profile of a witch. He was elderly, male, and a devout Christian. His brutal death resulted in a subsequent martyrdom, becoming a hero in the eyes of his former fellow townsfolk. The people of Salem began to see the hysteria for what it was, a fear-induced witch hunt. On September 22nd, three days after Giles had been pressed to death, his wife Martha and seven others were the last to be hanged for witchcraft in Salem. Nicholas Noyes oversaw these hangings and said, quote, What a sad thing it is to see eight firebrands of hell hanging there. End quote. Right after this, the trials would stop almost as quickly as they began. Over the course of roughly a year, 25 people would die as a result of the trials. 19 by hanging, 5 while awaiting trial or sentencing in prison, and 1 pressed to death. The legacy of the trials have lived in the city since they occurred. The town has overcome this, and now the victims of this senseless event are celebrated. The other lasting legacy is the ghost of all those involved in the events haunting the town. Whether it be the witch house, the graveyards, or even the spot where many lost their life, the ghosts of the trials still haunt the town that condemned them. I'm Rob Coakley, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Salem, Massachusetts, Part 1. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome into Hometown Ghost Stories, episode number 52. I'm Jesse Wilkins. I'm joined by Rob Coakley. Hello, Rob. So I went for a walk today, and I found these two rocks while I was walking Gotham. Always got props now. And I think it's enough to press Dave to death with. (laughs) (laughs) We're also joined by Dave. Hello, Dave. What's that? That was good, Rob. That was a good one. Well done. You prepared that one all week. That's that's pretty good. Um, but listen, this is episode number fifty-two. That means we are one week strong. I mean, I'm sorry, one year strong. Our hometown goes fifty-two episodes in one week. That's pretty much what it feels like at this point in October. But um, hey, be one the, year of hometown ghost stories. Be the longest week of my life. Like, how many episodes did we get done this week? That's the rest of this like. year is going to be easy. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I want to welcome everyone who's hanging out in live chat. We got a whole bunch of people here. Uh, I see Assassin here, Papa Squatch, the Stephanie's, Matthew T. Uh, I want to welcome in for the first time. We have Tina and John. Welcomes and uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks to Ma and Pops Wilkins for sending them over. Always good to see you guys here. Crystal Brodad is here. Uh, just everyone that's hanging out in live chat. If you guys want to join in on the uh, the festive activities inside of the live chat. 
then uh, every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Also, big shout out to Roy Brady. Nice meeting you at the Bridgewater Talk. Thank you for tuning in. And always good to have a paranormal professional in the chat as well. So uh, this is Salem part one. We just got a question asking how many parts is going to be uh, from Matthew T. And we have two parts. So this week is Salem part one. Next week will be Salem part two. This is mostly focusing on the witch trials and the hauntings thereafter. And uh, next week will be a few other haunted locations in Salem. So that's the game plan. And we're excited. We all wore our Salem shirts. So for people that are watching, look at that. We have Salem shirts. Mine, Mine says an awesome place to hang. Isn't that Ooh. fun? Uh, <clears throat> mm. Nice. Nice. Tasteless. <laughs> Matthew, uh, Thomas, Matthew Thomas says we finally have a professional. <laughs> it took one year. We finally got knows what they're talking about. <laughs> we did it. Um, no. So we had to start. Like you say, Salem, you have to start with the witch trials because it is the history of this town, right? You have to get into that. But for part two, when we get to that, I want to hit on some stuff that's not fully related to the witch trials because there is a lot in Salem. And I think there's a lot that people don't even know. I think even the witch trials, I got into a lot of stuff on this that I was like, I didn't know about this or this or this. And it was a nice... um refresher to go through and hit the history of this yeah because while it was like hysteria based and we'll get we'll go into some of the theories on on what the salem witch trials is actually about Mm -hmm. um there was a lot of talk about ghosts there was talks about demons possessions all sorts of things that kind of tie into the show as well so it wasn't like a monty python witch hunt where they're like oh she's a witch burn her turn her to build a bridge out of her it was also had to find a way to do it huh (laughs) but it (laughs) It was. was It, it literally it, was that they weren't to, to exaggerating like they any accusation that you would throw out there would be taken seriously by these idiot judges everything right. oh for like sure spectral evidence for one thing and you get the like the the monty python skit where he's like she turned me into a newt he's like you don't look like a newt he's like oh, i got better i got better <laughs> 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 yeah, so it wasn't far off, but I'm saying I'm saying they they weren't just throwing a you know a carrot on someone's face to make it look like a big witch nose and saying that they were witches. There was actually like a, a, a lot of layers to this. How do you so, know? Because I spent a lot of time reading the longest book ever on this stupid <laughs> witch child. Um, very 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 thorough book. I usually put the books right in front of me to show it on the screen, but it was uh, it's called Six Women of Salem. And it's a long one and it goes through all like, because the, the court transcripts are still available. Uh, so it goes through all of that. And it gave like a, a step-by-step accounting of absolutely everything that happened. Um, perhaps too much information because <laughs> it took me forever to get through this book. But it, but you, it, there was a lot more mentions of ghosts and spirits floating around the courtroom and everything. And uh, even an invisibility cloak. I'll get into the specifics of that later. But th- there was so many things that I I never expected to be involved with this case that were involved. And um, it, it definitely was much deeper than I thought it was going to be because we've been going to Salem for years. It's like a tradition. We go at least once, sometimes two, three times a year. It's not too far from us. Um, maybe about an hour and a half drive from me. So we always make it a point to go up near Halloween season. Rarely do we go in October. You guys are brave. And uh, you went out there, what, on Saturday? Yeah, yeah. we went Saturday. Um the key in October is you go very early. You have to get there by like eight, nine o'clock at probably nine o'clock might be the That's absolute good. latest. And um, then you can actually find parking. And then 
you just watch the crowds of people come in and swell and you wonder if you're going to get crushed to death in a wave of people on Essex street, but not my scene anymore. This is the way you need to experience Salem for the first time. When you go, you need to go see what it's like in October so that you've been there, you've experienced it. And then you can go in like April, May and do all the touristy stuff without the hassle of the crowds. You don't have to get too crazy with Salem. Like with Salem, we go in what July or August usually, and it's still like everything is still Halloween based. You still have all of the palm readers, the uh, ghost tours are open, the haunted houses if you choose to do those, the witch museum. Everything that you could do in October is pretty much available. Obviously, there's a lot more when it comes to like vendors and um, you know just some different shops that pop up during the October season. So obviously there's a lot more, but it's also harder to do these things. Like you have to wait in line just to get into stores. You have to, God for God forbid you try to go to a restaurant out there. I don't know what the wait times are. I don't know if you guys try to do that, but it's, it's a mob scene right now. I know. I know some, I know some secret spots to go get food in Salem. Yeah. We walked in, there was lines out the door at almost every single breakfast joint. And the four of us walked into a restaurant sat right down because we knew where to go or right. specifically Rob knew where to go. Veterans. Yeah. Veterans. Okay. You got to know. What you're, it's like when you go to Vegas, right? And everything's on the strip. But if you know about something a little off strip, you're always going to be able to do what you want to do if it's right off the strip. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. You got to kind of know right where to go. Well, places like Vegas, places like New York, and we were mentioning this a little bit in the uh, pre-show Patreon hangout. These cities are built for crowds like that. Mm-hmm. Salem is not now they do what they can to manage those crowds but you have like one main strip and it ain't the las vegas strip (laughs) (laughs) it is not managed like that so i mean there are cities and there are are bigger places that are are built for those kind of crowds in salem and 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 i think they put out a tweet this week that was like please stop coming to salem (laughs) we can't we can't handle any more people it's just it is wild it is wild we went on halloween um like i think three years ago and we got there early, early in the morning. And I think we we took off by like 2 p.m. or something like that because it was just getting too crazy. I and, did um, I did Halloween night twice, I think, before we really started hanging out. So this is, God, 20 years ago now. And it was bonkers. And I would never do it again. I don't want to say never because maybe I would. But it's it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's just an absolute nightmare. But it's a lot of fun is what I'll say as well. It's like when you get there and like the crowds are just like just completely filling in the street and you're just standing there shoulder to shoulder with strangers. It's like there you're like, okay, what, what do we do though? Now what do we do? I mean, everything, there's, the lines are out the door for everything. Everything has a two-hour wait. Why are we here? <laughs> yeah. What do we do? That's kind of, I don't know. That's kind of. And, and like you said, all of these stores that carry like, the um like there's a lot of witchcraft stores drink um there's all these other things you can go to you walk right in every other time of year and they're all open it's not so like block island right shuts down for a season and salem doesn't shut down even though they have a specific season everything is still open all times of the year so it's, it's still it's still a city with a lot of people living in it. Right. So for the most part, all the stuff that you can do in October, you can do that also in July, August, September. 
it just starts to get too crazy. So uh, that's Salem. Highly recommend though, if, if you guys have never been, um, definitely give Salem a visit. Put it on put it on the list of places to go. If you want to go experience those crowds and everything, do that. If you're looking to get a hotel, you need to book it literally like a year, year and a half in advance if you're trying to stay there in October. So prepare yourself for that. It is uh, it is not easy, and it's yeah. expensive, but yeah. uh, worth it. So, so before we dive into some of the history that we got onto in Salem, I was unaware of a couple of the stories that I told uh, based on what happened in Charlestown and what happened in Boston. So like to see that, because when you think of witches in Massachusetts, you just, your brain is going to say Salem, right? Like you're going to gravitate towards that. So I just assumed that's where all the witchcraft stuff happened. I didn't realize that there was other places in the state that were trying and executing people for witchcraft. Right. So with Salem, what was particular for this city was they had passed this law. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it was basically like a, a, a pop-up court system that tried a whole new list of crimes mm-hmm. and witchcraft was number two on these crimes that are basically punishable by death. So number one was um, idolatry. Number two is witchcraft. Number idolatry? Three, idolatry. You do not go to Dollar Tree. You can't go to that store? <laughs> That's, yeah, punishable by death. That's how I feel when I walk into the Dollar Tree. Uh, number two, witchcraft. Number three, blasphemy. Number four was murder. So uh, all of these other things were above murder. Then you had number five was poisoning, and number six was bestiality. So these are all crimes that were punishable by death, but witchcraft making number two on this list was obviously... Um, that's how serious they were taking it to put it two spots above murder. So they were killed. They were executing witches before murderers. That's how serious they took this stuff. So that was kind of the, um, hierarchy of crimes. And this popped up. Obviously this was when the entire hysteria was going on and it had its, it had its roots. So it started with, uh, Samuel Paris, who was the, he was like the minister. And it started when his daughter, um, started having these symptoms and he thought that maybe she was falling victim of like a curse. Like there was some witchcraft going on. And then his niece, Abigail Williams was also starting to experience the same sy- symptoms. So that was Elizabeth Paris and uh, Abigail Williams in their, uh You had mentioned in the episode, but they were making odd sounds. They were screaming. Uh, their bodies started to contort. They were having these spasms and they were uh, throwing objects around. So they were just, basically possessed or that's what he believed was happening. Now I think we can get into well, we'll get into the the going theories on on what what we think drove this whole hysteria. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it started with this minister and it just so happened to be his daughter and his niece, both of these were young girls, this is where um it started to snowball. Oh, and, and they were trying to oust them and it just all was a little convenient. Right. What it's was weird it's, is that what was weird is that they had um they had witch trials going on all over New England and even in Europe also. Yeah. And primarily the people that were the accusers were men. No one's gonna listen, no one was listening to women and children at the time. No one take what would take what they had to say seriously, except for in Salem. In Salem, this was the first case where you had um the accusers were like young girls and people were listening to them and taking them seriously, and not just taking them seriously, taking every single word that they said as pretty much gospel, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Salem is very progressive. All very, very young girls. The, the next one was Ann Putnam, who was only 11 years old. So she also started act, having the same uh, symptoms, body contorting, 
throwing stuff, screaming, yelling. Um, and then uh, you, you dealt with the, I believe it was Elizabeth Paris and Abigail Williams. And these were the two that uh, accused the first people of witchcraft. It was uh, Sarah Osborne, Sarah Good. And this was all routed back to Tichaba who you also mentioned in the episode. I'm sure you probably mentioned all these people in the episode, but Tichaba was, uh, was she a servant or? She was a slave. She was a and, slave. Yeah, so she was a slave. And the the history of Tichaba is like really interesting because there was a time in about the 1800s, if I remember correctly, where this story started grabbing a lot of attention again. And because of modern day slavery, they believe that her race was changed and became um, African-American at the time. But they're pretty sure upon going back and researching it, she was actually Native American. So there's no 100% on this, on what she actually was. But they think she was a Native, they think she was Native American. But that yeah. shows you, the whole point is it shows you how this story changes on right. a consistent basis because a record keeping in the 1600s terrible right mm -hmm. there was some but it wasn't great on and this case surprisingly well preserved yeah but, uh but her yeah from what i heard about her heritage most believe that she was native american yeah. um but basically she so she confessed she confessed to teaching witchcraft to these women and mm -hmm this was what created uh or this is how the hysteria really started to pick up steam and uh she was said quoting the devil came to me and bid me serve him so and then you dealt with the whole devil's book where they were trying to they kept saying that this person this specter came to me and had me try to sign the devil's book and you see everyone trying to sign the devil's book and um and that was a tichaba so a, a lot of people later on started to think that maybe she was forced to confess and this I'm, was the, I'm sure that's what happened. Yeah. I'm sure there was, I mean, we're, we're going to get into it, but they were, they were taking confessions of a four-year-old girl against their mother, which this isn't the only witch trial I heard of this happening. This happened in Europe as well, uh, where they were taking children of the person and basically forcing them to say that their parents were witches and then either hanging them or burning them at the stake. Like mm -hmm. it's horrific what these people were doing and getting away with. Absolutely. So it wasn't just, I mean, you had the whole contorting and screaming and throwing things around, basically act, acting possessed. And then the, the sighting started. So as I mentioned, like they started with these ghost sightings where they're saying, oh, this witch came to me. This specter came to me. Um, they also started seeing animals. There was um, red cats, yellow birds, black dogs. Uh, black dogs is, is another one, kind of like a hellhound thing that we've heard about in a few different cases, actually a few cases with witchcraft, like the uh, Hex Hollow one, that's one that was seen a lot. Uh, actually in modern times, that's one of like the new ghost sightings at um, Hex Hollow is the the black dog. So right. it's synonymous with uh, demons, I believe. We looked into that. Uh -huh. So this is when they started seeing that stuff. And um, and the it, it started to spread around. More people started getting afflicted. So you had the afflicted, which was the whole crowd of people that were um, being affected by these witches all right we we need to, we need to talk about the elephant in the room the hell is this witch cake who the hell's and who came up with this who's like guys i i know how to solve all this if you just pee in this cake 
and feed it to something, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Just, what do they have to involve the dog for? Like, right. Leave the dog alone. Right. You eat it. Yeah, you eat it. Let's see if you, you eat it and weird. then walk your way to the yeah. witch. Because yeah, why are you going to treat dogs like that? Yeah, it's it's absolutely bonkers. And it's like, oh, and if the dog acts weird, like, have you seen dogs? Sometimes they just do weird things. Like, they just start playing or something. Like, start what chewing are you, on their foot. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, what are we going off of right now? This is this is how we're, I mean, I know science wasn't advanced at the time or anything. You but, think? That's it. The town had the town had one doctor, and apparently he could read, but he couldn't write. And this was the doctor oh. that was uh, treating these people for this illness. It's just hmm, must be witchcraft, I but I can't it. write that down. <laughs> How is he writing prescriptions? I don't think they. I don't think they, I don't think they have a CVS. I, thank you. <laughs> they do now. Confirmed. They have uh, several CVSs now. They do. So, um, so to get back to the uh, pea cake, yeah. was this? Would it? Would the accused witch pee on the pea cake, and then yes. the dog would? So, I mean, if you're dealing with dogs and like sense of smell, it, uh, I don't know if pea would do it. But yeah, what that? If, sense if they, of taste. Well, they were using it as an ingredient to bake the cake. Right. It wasn't right. like they're like, here's a cake, piss on it. <laughs> It was. I mean, not that one is less ridiculous than the other, but <laughs> that's true. It really doesn't matter which way you do it. It's yeah. But you know where I'm going with this? Like, like if it had is that is that a way that a dog could pick up in your scent, and then it might go to you anyways? Oh, um, oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. maybe. You know what I mean? Like, like when, when, like when you have bloodhounds and stuff, and they're searching for a missing person, they just smell a piece of, piece of clothing, and then they could maybe go find the trail or something. But I don't know if urine would do the same thing, especially after maybe. it's been baked. We have to test this out. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Why don't you pee in a cake and feed it to your dog and see if it comes after you? That's a pretty not, good angle. I'm not going to do that. That sounds like animal abuse, and I don't want to land myself <laughs> yeah. in prison. This is a terrible yeah. idea. We're not going to test it out. We'll feed it to Dave. And we'll, see. <laughs> we'll see if Dave follows his back. <laughs> um, so, the, the, yeah, the hysteria was was growing at this point. They um, they started having these fits in in court. So people started getting arrested. They were all rounded up. Um, in Salem, there's, they, they have the, the memorial. And I know we've been there a few times right outside the, um, the museum, old burying point cemetery. Mm-hmm. And, um, or the, at the, what do you call it? The memorial thing with anyways, it's like a, a bunch of benches with each person's name on it and the date that they died. Right. How, have we counted those? How many are there? I know that it's believed that I think 19 people total. I've heard up to 20. It's, it was 19 were hanged, 20, including Giles Corey. And five died in prison. At least. Which we don't, which do they, those people never actually like get any, any like um, publicity over dying for these trials. But I'm sure being in jail is partially the reason that they passed away. So they, some of them were old, but you're putting most, these old people in prison. And most of the people who were accused and convicted were elderly or borderline elderly. But they had this, the Puritans had this rule back then, um, which was when you're in prison, you had to pay for the shackles. Mm-hmm. And if you couldn't afford to pay for the shackles, you just stay in prison, which is part of the reason why Dorothy Good was in jail for so long was because she was five and they killed her mother. And she didn't have any money to pay for her shackles, so she sat in prison for a year. Most of that time was after the um, they were basically all exonerated. Right. And what they just, would do is, is if you didn't have the money to pay for it, they would just go to your property and keep taking your things. 
like they would just go take your cow like oh yeah this is to pay for his next month in prison they just go they they just take your grain or take your whatever take your butter take your pea kicks and and they would just use that and and then once you're out of stuff it's like okay well you're in jail you're so they also paid whatever they paid was this helped base the size of their cell as well so like if you weren't paying money some people had cells that they weren't even big enough to lay down in at the time so if you didn't have money you were in like this uncomfortable situation like day in and day out all of yeah. the witches were held in like the dungeons below the prisons because they were considered to be the most like dangerous of the prisoners yeah, of it, the, was, yeah. it was number two on the list Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, Crystal uh, Matthew Thomas, hang on. Matthew okay. Thomas just said elderly back then equals 36. That is um kind of true. The whole people dying in their 30s is sort of a misconception cuz like the the reason that the um the like the average age was so young back then like in the 30s is because infant mortality was so high. It was like if you had a child there was like a 60% chance of dying and those numbers were totally throwing off the um the uh, like the um average lifespan numbers so if like every like if you have like the majority oh, of the people dying are dying when they're age zero that's going to throw the average way off so it's like you know if you make it past you know age whatever five then you're most likely going to live until you're you know old. 36 yep um <laughs> if, you, Blue, if you just walk okay, okay, no i'm gonna talk if you walk through the cemeteries of salem and towns around massachusetts you will see a lot of people that lived into their 70s and 80s in the 1800s and 1700s around here it's it's pretty wild that is interesting dave that you, that you said that about the i never really factored that into the averages which was so many of these kids dying and you see that with the judge in this case where they had 14 kids living at that house and f i think four of them survived two of them were adopted so technically 10 of her own children died in this house and we'll get into that a little bit more when we get into the hauntings of the place but that's do you, do you, do you know why the, the infant mortality was rate was so high they just because uh, they they like un, i don't know what year it was i don't want to like misquote it or get it wrong but it was recently like within i think the last hundred years they realized like oh the doctors should be washing their equipment and washing their hands in between oh, yeah. the deliveries that's an important one and, yeah like they they literally like made this groundbreaking discovery like really recently <laughs> Way more recently than you would think. All right, so yeah. before I forget, Crystal Blue um, brought this up in chat. She said spectral evidence was allowed. And this is actually a really important uh, comment because at this time when these new laws passed and witchcraft was punishable by death and they had all these kind of pop-up court systems that were now trying people for all this crazy evidence, part of the evidence that was allowed in court during this short time frame was spectral evidence. And... What they what that means was when they're in court and they're saying, oh, the ghost just came to me and bit me on the arm. Look at my bite mark. That was evidence. It was allowed in court. And this towards the end of the witch trials, a new system of laws was put in place that was finally like you can no longer use this spectral evidence of ghosts in the courtroom. And that's when basically they're like, all right, well, we might as well hang it up. The This witch fiasco is over. But it was this is huge. insane on so many levels. Insane like at face value right spectral evidence like there's a ghost in your lap it's like oh well we have to use this as evidence you know um but also insane like take the giles Corey thing right they could not officially try him according to puritan law because he refused to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty they're like we can't put him on trial because we have this law in place on the other hand you're like 
the ghost bit me. And they're like, well, we have to accept this as evidence. It's like, <laughs> where, like, where are your standards? It, it no was, sense. yeah, it, it made no sense. It, it, there was, so you had the whole afflicted crowd and you mentioned this in the episode as well. So basically these witnesses or these victims, quote unquote, would be in the courtroom and the witch would, or the accused witch would just make a movement and all of a sudden they're all like, oh, my neck. And they would just go writhing on the ground. They're all in pain. And it's just, it's just, it's a show. And the, the crazy thing is, is these, this entire afflicted crowd, there wasn't a single one of them that was over 20 years old. It was all of these, these young girls, basically middle school and high school girls all got together or, or they saw what was going on and they all just started, you know, copycatting like, Oh, I'm afflicted too. That I must be cursed by this witch or whatever. And they're just locking up and killing these women because of something that a bunch of young girls just probably made up. And there's other theories as to, as to what could have been the cause of it. But it, to me, it just seems like they're another attention seeking thing. We went over this a couple of episodes ago um, in both of the poltergeist cases where it's like kids are being kids might be looking for attention. And then other kids in this case, I think we're catching on. They're like, oh yeah, I'm afflicted as well. And they go into the courtroom and they're also doing this big act. That's what it kind of seemed like. Did you, speaking of the other theories, did you read about the um, wheat ergot, the yeah. fungus? That's, that's kind of an interesting one as well. So basically um, rye ergot, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a fungus that forms hallucinogenic drugs in bread. Its victims can appear bewitched when they're actually stoned, and it thrives in a cold winter followed by a wet spring. Yeah, so, so the climate in Salem, this was actually relatively common, but a lot of the symptoms that you get from this, I don't know what you would call it, a disease or whatever, but um, a lot of the symptoms matched up with the symptoms of the afflicted, where you could convulse, uh, you could hallucinate, which is a huge one, and uh, it could cause you to basically freak out. So, so that, explains, it's a, that explains the girl's behavior, but it doesn't explain why everybody believed them. And like I, I think it's a, it's a weak theory, but it's a theory. No, well, I mean, it, it becomes part of mass hysteria because they're not going to be the only ones that have the, the bread problem. So it's like, it's that whole dancing situation. Remember the people that all dance to death? And yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like it, it's, it, it becomes that group, that group... Um, I think I think you it's it's a theory that that theory with the I'm whole not, wheat thing was brought up by a college student. It's and but it's that it's, 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 every, it's not everyone terrible, in yeah. town was like the judges and the like that that's not that wasn't the case right so it's not you had a few people that were quote unquote afflicted and then mm -hmm. you had a whole town in mass hysteria calling each other accusing each other of witches and it it makes more sense to me that it it was more on the lines of like these girls. I don't nece not necessarily they didn't necessarily have an agenda I don't think but they started pointing fingers and they got themselves in deep and they started hanging people and they're like well we're all in now we can't backpedal and they're probably scared you know mm -hmm. um and, and it, then, it, it yeah. goes back to you had the confession from Tichaba so that's the adult in the room and they're like oh this is whether she was a native american or not they're like well obviously you know they think that she could have something to do with witchcraft so it must have been her and they're all pointing fingers and I think it did, yeah, I think it did come back to a power grab between the reverend that initially claimed that his daughter and his niece uh, had been bewitched mm -hmm. and 
it went on from there because he was he was fighting to regain power in Salem anyways. And um I, I think that's I think that's what it was back to. I think that's the most most likely um yeah, an opportunity presented itself to him. The kids were acting weird. I don't know if he actually planned it. Maybe he did. Because again, four years prior to this, we had the case in Boston with um Goody um Good Goodwin? Was it Goody Goodwin? No, or it was it was the Goodwin family, right? No, you know I think what I'm she talking. was a she was a good wife. That's why they called her Goody, but the name was yeah. something different. Anyways. Yeah. So, anyways, she all the symptoms of the kids from that trial are this pretty much mirror what was going on with um, the stuff in Salem. So you would assume that over four years that those, that that trial made its way to Salem. It's not that far away. So people had heard of this. So maybe these girls were like, well, we can do that too. And it started it. And then the Reverend is like, Oh, maybe I can use this to help keep uh my position in town since they're trying to help me yeah it's it's the most likely scenario in my opinion um there was a local his name was uh robert caliph at the time he was a merchant mm -hmm. and he straight up called him out he said that uh samuel paris was exploiting the trials for socio-political gain and um i don't know what happened after that but that was someone that was there at the time yeah. one of the townspeople and and he straight up was like no this is all hoax being pulled off by this guy to gain back power i think all a right. lot of people saw it for what it was but a lot of people just kept their mouths shut because they were like well, the last thing i want to do is involve myself in this because they are hanging everyone well yeah we went over the list i mean it's like you could probably fit into one of those you know five or six categories if they chose to make you fit into that and if not then they're just going to call you a witch and then you're screwed anyways so it's yep. like are you going to risk your life to uh to save a few so and I think at first they weren't, they were, I think the town was all about it at first. Like, you know, you had Bridget Bishop go by herself and get, get hanged. And then you have a couple more, but then I think when they did like that next group of six or seven, I think a lot of people started to turn and be like, what are we doing? And then that by the is. time that final eight were, were hung or hanged, they, they were like, all right, this is, this is ridiculous. We got to stop doing this. This isn't that. And sense. it was Rebecca nurse that they were going back and forth on, right? She was found not guilty. And then there was like public outcry. So they found her guilty and then they yeah. acquitted her again and they freaked out and went back and forth. And when they finally hanged her, I think that the people were like, this is messed up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's when the, and that was the group of like six or seven. She was a part of that group. And hmm. I think, yeah. I think another thing that points back to, to Samuel Paris was that, Tichaba, who was, I believe it was his servant. Yeah. She or his slave, she never ended up hanging for the crimes. She was one of the ones that was let go. Well, they if you if you pled guilty, they wouldn't hang you. They'd say we can fix you. And then yeah. I mean, if you had property, they take your property. They, you know, you it was not a uh favorable life, but it was better than hanging. So um, yeah, it was the people that were all of the people that hanged were uh they were they pled innocent or not guilty to being a witch. Yeah, I think the the most interesting one was um it was one of the guys that was hanged. I'm trying to remember his name real quick and go back. Um Burroughs. Do you guys remember mm -hmm. his first name? Mm -hmm. So when he was George, hanged, I think it was George Burroughs. Probably. Um it was either George or John. Those are the only two names back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> actually right. It, it literally is one of those two. Um <laughs> when he was hanged, and this is significant, he cited the entire Lord's Prayer without making a single mistake. The reason that's significant is 
at the time, they believed that witches could not recite the entire thing without making a mistake. That was one of the signs that pointed to you not being a witch. So he went up there, recited it. They're like, hmm, well, that's pretty good. Hung him anyways. Yeah, so. they're like, well, we're already here. You know, we got the <laughs> thing set up. And the crowd's here. <laughs> they came for a show. <laughs> I give them a show. Lessa, are you a witch? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much the court process in those days. It's so pretty I, fair. I, I did mention the invisibility cloak. And I want to get to my notes oh, on that. Because, yeah, please, please get into this. Yeah, this this was not a joke. Uh, I mean, it was a joke. <laughs> the whole thing seems like in a joke. Retrospect. Unfortunately, yeah. it is not. I'll let, I'll let you guys talk amongst yourselves while I find my note on that. So I don't know what your note's going to say. I don't want to take the wind from your sails. But this came from, um, I th- it was a magistrate. It was right? the chief justice. The chief justice. And it was, he was using, this was his idea. Because someone was like, oh, yeah the specter came to me or such and such came to me and bit me or or something along those lines. And he was like, well, that must've been an invisibility cloak that he was using. Mm -hmm. And it was, that was like, they they just rolled with it. Not only was it the (laughs) invisibility cloak, it was the invisibility cloak that had to have been given to him from the devil, from the devil, obviously from the devil. And like when you're looking for like a a voice of reason in the room, you're Mm -hmm. probably looking for the chief, uh, chief justice is going to weigh in. He's probably got something smart to say. Yeah. Oh, he's got to be using an invisibility cloak to bite me on the arm. It yeah. must have been given to him by the devil. They're like, all right, well. Yeah, the chief justice stands up and the, the accused is standing there like, oh, thank God, he's going to say something logical like, no, it didn't, or no, you didn't. And he comes yeah. up with this Harry Potter quote. <laughs> he's, he stands up eating his pea cake, just <laughs> bite after bite. I know what happened here as I oh, bite God. into this urine flavored cake. He crawls across the floor like a dog. He's like, I'll lead you to the witch. <laughs> oh, man. What a distinguished man he is. My God. So we have the um, the memorial for them, like like we said, is right next to Old Burying Point Cemetery. Which one of is, the memorials for them. Right. So the other one, you showed it on the video. That was where they actually believe that the executions took place, correct? Right. So they didn't know for years where they were hanging these people. And then I think in 2016, based on a document that they, that they read, because like you said, of all the things that were actually documented, well, this was one of them. They found an old document that said that described the area where they were hanging. And it is this hill that is about a mile to like 1.2 miles away from this main portion of Salem. It's this little hill. It's called Proctor's Ledge. And they built a memorial there. It's like this, that little memorial that we showed right at the end of the video. It's right next to a Walgreens. It's so off the beaten path that it's it's not near anything else. But that's where it happened. So we are still learning things about this trial, you know, 300, more than 300 years after it happened. Which is right. crazy. So the going belief was crazy. that they were probably buried somewhere on Gallows Hill. So we visited Gallows Hill a couple summers ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Assassin was in the chat earlier talking about Gallows Hill. This is a very steep hill. And the issue mm-hmm. with this hill and the reason that either they thought maybe, maybe they were buried on the lower point of this hill, it's unbelievably steep. And if you're going to carry the witches up or, or move them up, maybe they could have all walked up, but chances are they're transporting them by wagon or something. It would have been very hard to get a wagon up that steep of a hill. We climbed this thing. We climbed it in the summer. It was a very hot day. I don't know if you remember Rob, but it was a, 
not an easy, not an easy climb for us. I mean, we're not very athletic anyways, but it was a, uh, a tough one. Uh, but we did find a spot that we thought maybe could have been the place. There was um, a tree that looked like it could have been used for hangings. It had the, uh, you know, it was just a, a good, good old fashioned hanging tree. And it was up a relatively not steep part of the hill. And then it flattened out and we're like, all right, if it was going to happen anywhere on this hill, it was probably right here. Mm-hmm. Unless there's a different access point. We went from, for people that are familiar with the area, it's like a playground now. And then there's the big hill with like a walking trail up there. And there's some houses up towards the top. But this is, the, we've, this is decidedly not the location though. Correct. Right. It is now believed. Yes. Right. And it makes more sense that it would be the smaller, a smaller hill, right? Mm-hmm. They'd want it on a hill because they would, you know, it'd be like a stage, right? Cause they'd have all the crowds of people that would right. come to watch, but they're, they, you know, they're not going to hike up a mountain. Right. So I think it makes more sense that it would Especially be. Especially with yeah. the wagon. That's, that's the other thing too, is right. you're carting a wagon full of humans up the, up the hill. It's not going to be well, easy to get carting them down the hill. Right. They'd walk in theory up the hill. Maybe. I mean, it, it, I don't know. You think of people being led to execution, either they're going to walk them out or maybe they're all in like a barred wagon. Oh, I mean, maybe. we're just all speculation. It turns out it's probably the wrong place anyways. Do we know if they've done any like ground penetrating radar? Cause they did get buried. They just don't know where they're buried. So well, the other problem is, is when they, they bury them at the spot, right. In unmarked graves. And then the families would sneak back in and unbury them uh-huh. and then bring them back and bury them presumably on their own property or whatnot. So they don't know pretty much everyone got moved. You know, I think they have like Rebecca nurse. They know where she's buried, I think. And uh, I think there's like two other ones, but other than that, everyone else is missing. Basically, I can't wait to sneak into the graveyard and unbury Dave's body and just move it to wherever I want to. Just bring it home. Crystal mentions that the uh, the grave. Good. I want to make it its own Instagram. Just where's Dave's body this week? Where's yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Crystal mentions that the graves were in shallow soil and crevices in the rock. Yeah, so these bodies might not even be. They're probably yeah, yeah gone. for different reasons. Um, so we should probably talk about some of the ghosts that. Mm. that Allegedly, uh, this is a ghost story podcast. This is true. Allegedly. This is true. But this is the good old. This was this was the meaty story. So Salem witch trials. Uh, so the two main locations that we discussed were Burying Point Cemetery as nope. well as the witch house. Not. That cemetery, okay, go on. Howard Street Cemetery. Howard Street Cemetery. Which is haunted by, or presumably haunted by Giles Corey. And Giles Corey's ghost is a pretty scary ghost because he appears before disasters. For instance, the 1914 Great Fire disaster. Mm -hmm. They said they saw his ghost floating around the cemetery before that happened. And that was quite the disaster. A few people, only a few people died. I think only three, two or three people died, but there were uh, several injuries and like pretty much every building in the entire city was was burnt except for the witch house, which is one of the reasons why that's the one of the only remaining structures still in Salem right now from the I, original trial. What? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The way you worded that really threw me off for a second. Um, can we talk about Giles Corey real quick? Because... Is he mm-hmm. the biggest badass in the history of the world where he just is like, no, nah, I'm not going to even give you the satisfaction. I'm not saying not guilty because I well, know what you're going to do anyways. He was going, he didn't, they couldn't take his property if he didn't plead. Right. Right. So that's what he was afraid of. He was afraid they were going to, he knew he was, his, his uh, goose was cooked. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he just, you know, if I don't ever plead, 
then they can't take my property from my family. So uh, that I think was his angle there. And then, but yeah, just for him to more weight, more weight, like bro, what a badass, what a legend. He was and like in his seventies too. He's 81, 81. Yeah. Like that is, that's bonkers. More weight. Like just three days. Yeah. He sat between those boards and they're just rock after rock after rock. And it's, yeah, uh, Matthew Thomas says more weight, AKA freedom, basically. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this is what, this is what kind of stopped or what led to the decline of the uh, witch hysteria. Uh, I think Crystal brought up earlier that it technically ended when the governor's wife was uh, accused of witchcraft. <laughs> right. Came back in, which is kind of funny because he was in earlier, right? And they had like the prison population problem. And he mm-hmm. was like, wrap up these witch thing, like get them out of prison, either release them or execute them whatever you got to do these prisons are too full i'm gonna go back up to fight king philip's war and figure that out so he leaves and then he comes back a couple months later and he's like what is going on (laughs) what are you doing that was part of the problem too i don't want to get too deep into this but wars were ending the population was like the influx of the population in salem was going up so like a lot of that led to this as well we won't get totally into it read some of the history on this and it's really, um, it's just really crazy. But yeah, Giles, Giles Corey, absolute OG, like just absolute legend. Um, and then with that curse, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, so uh, he cursed Sheriff Corwin, and Corwin died of the heart attack at age 30, just a few years after the execution. Yeah. And then every single sheriff, like every single subsequent sheriff after that, all the way up to 1991, either died on the job or um, had to quit because of either a heart condition or blood disease. Yeah, it seemed like it was mostly heart issues, but yeah, blood disease as well. Um, yeah, I mean, he didn't just shirt, curse the sheriff or their job either. The town, he cursed yeah. the whole town too. Yep. But the uh, it's pretty interesting. Like you know, we talk you know we talk a lot about curses in the bonus content episodes with the cursed possessions and the ones that are like the ones that stand out are the ones that you curse a specific thing and it comes through to that you know exact um like to a t basically another example would be the uh you brought it up in the opening video rob is i forget which uh which it was who said if you i think it was was it sarah good who said if you kill me or if you um hang me then you'll die with blood in your mouth or something like that yeah that's exactly how he died (laughs) yeah nathaniel noise he he ends up having a hemorrhage in his mouth and just I, absolutely the way that she said it was going to happen so i wonder if like after that happened they're like maybe they were witches after all <laughs> that's what i know right <laughs> <laughs> might have been on to something yeah so that's the that's the worst theory but that is one of the theories is that they were just witches so i don't believe it thanks jesse thanks for thanks for putting your i'm foot just, down I'm just throwing out that. that that's one of the was one of the theories and some of the witches in salem are are rather proud of that they're like oh yeah they were that's where it all started but yep. whether so the, they were or not that is where it all started and that is the identity of that city now absolutely it's on the it's on the police cars there are witches on the police cars like mm-hmm. i mean good for them for leaning into into it though and like having an angle I, I, you know there's other towns that do nothing for when they're when they're these towns and I can't think of one offhand, but some towns like like no, don't come here for that. We're yeah, like not. like Amityville, right? Like that's what you think of is is you think of 
the Amityville house and they want, they just want nothing to do with it. Right. Right. And you should, you should have like a Halloween celebration. You are known for one of the most haunted houses in the entire country. Lean into it, have a celebration, bring tourism in, help your town, like become a touristy town. Like do there's your angle for something. Well, there's Salem the- loves to embrace the witch story and the witch element, but they do not like the ghost stories. Right. It's, it was hard to find ghost stories in this town. I was like, we have to because we're a ghost podcast. So if there's the ghost of Giles Corey that haunts the Howard Street Cemetery and the the ghosts that haunt um, the witch house. I had a hard time finding stuff on, but there was a tour guide there who was talking about some of the hauntings. And basically they're saying that the upstairs door will lock and unlock on itself. And people are always getting locked in that room. Um they also said that they believe the house is haunted by one of George, not George Corwin, Jonathan Corwin. So they're actually related. George Corwin was the sheriff and his uncle was Jonathan Corwin, the mm-hmm. um, justice. So um, this is one of uh, Jonathan Corwin's sons who died young, they believe haunts the house. And they also believe that uh, Dorothy Good haunts the house. Yeah. So when people look at um, the witch house, they assume it's haunted by the witches. It's more commonly believed that it's probably some of the, 10 children that died in the house. So um, that's kind of the going rate. But yeah, you're right. The the door unlocking and locking is a thing. They've also seen it uh, open and close. There's a few like creepy items that are still in that house now that people attribute to possibly carrying something with hauntings. Uh, There's like a pop-up doll or a poppet doll that was found in a house across the street and they moved it in. They put it in a case in this house. And the reason that that's significant is that was one of the items that was used to ward off witches at the time and they had dated it back to around the time of the uh the trials and they also found an old shoe that was within a wall which I, somehow they also dated this back and they assumed that that item was also used to ward off witches i don't know where they came up with that maybe it's in text somewhere where this is something that you do if you want to keep the witches away you put a shoe in your wall mm. i don't know well, but what would that, we have to do to our item. house to keep dave away put a shoe in the wall i'll stay away that would freak me out. Noted. That's why they didn't let you in the witch house. <laughs> I was thinking just making sure your door was like a foot and a half off the ground and you'd yeah. be good. There's also caretakers that have reported things moving around the house on their own. One of the uh, – punch my microphone. I'm just like Dave now. Um, one of the things in particular, they have these bed Witch! <laughs> they have these uh, bed warmer things, which basically in, in the old time, they would heat up this thing that looks like a frying pan basically, and they would just um, stick it in the bed. It would help warm your bed get you ready whatever but there was a caretaker who walked in and these are now hanging from the fireplace these big i don't know what they're made out of but they look like brass or something but it was hanging from the fireplace and they were just swinging around and she said that there was no doors open there was no wind there was no draft and they were just moving on their own she's like okay uh so that was something that they assumed to be paranormal and then the other thing that they saw was um that the pictures had that the pictures will frequently just fall off the walls so that's another thing that they uh, they report inside the witch house. So I, I haven't read into too many things that say like they see this ghost and they can attribute it to this person in particular. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who haunts this house. They assume because most of the people that died in the house were the children. Again, you're dealing with a house that's over 300 years old. It could have been, uh, I'm sure lots of people live in that house. So um, it still looks the same way that it did at the time. They've kept it very specific you still have his bedroom is set up still the same it's definitely got a creepy look to it and um 
they don't do many par- I don't know if they've changed their rules, but I know the ghost adventures team were able to investigate that house like 10 years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it might've been longer than that, but they had to reach out to the town and the, like the town committee had to like vote on whether or not they were going to let them in just to do the investigation. So clearly at that time, they, they were no go on investigations inside that house. And uh, the episode was fine. I mean, they got some EVPs that had mentioned the witches or something like that, but overall, I think they were only given the a couple hours. Guides, in the, house. the tour guides in the house did not were not happy, and they they said that they regret letting the that team come in and investigate, and they probably will now not let other teams come in and investigate because of it. Yeah, they're saying they're getting EVPs from Bridget Bishop, and um, right. the historians at that house were saying that that just makes absolutely no sense. Which they don't make was, the rules. It was spirit box chatter, mm-hmm. so it, you know it's subjective, anyways. But. Um, Again, so so this is one of those scenarios where it's like, okay, 10, 12, 14 years ago, however long ago they shot this episode, yes, maybe they were against it. And after the episode, maybe they were against it. But so are a lot of other locations. We mentioned this earlier on a, lot, on a few shows now, is that a lot of these locations were not up for it. And as time goes on, a lot of these locations are opening themselves up to paranormal investigations. So I don't know if they've changed up a little bit. I doubt they would on this one. Salem clearly doesn't need the business. <laughs> They're doing just fine. In this house, they don't need something new to bring people in. It's right in the middle of all the badness, and um, it's definitely got enough of an aura to it anyway. So that is um, that is the witch house. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy the ghost stories. Clearly, we have to focus more on the witches on this. Is there anything else in Salem that we specifically want to cover at the moment? I think we just save it all for next week. So we're doing part two next week. We're going to cover a few specific locations. And then if there's any other ghost stories from Salem, I know we got a few people in chat that seem to know a lot about Salem. Assassin lived in Salem. Um, uh, and then we had, who was it? Chris, Crystal. Yeah, Chris, Crystal seems to know all the stuff about this stuff. So um, if there's any other spots you guys want to talk about next week, uh, I know Roy is an expert and he's from Massachusetts as well. So I'm sure he knows a thing or two about it. Uh, we can include that in next week's episode or in next week's chat, but um yeah, we'll we'll leave. I think we'd leave it as a surprise for next week. Tune in for part two of Salem. We're going to cover more ghost stories next week. And this will be. We wanted to get all the witch stuff kind of out of the way in this episode, and then we're going to go into like the actual hauntings in Salem as well. Uh, Jessica says Salem is on the bucket list along with the Museum of Death. Where's the Museum yeah. of Death? That we're, sounds awesome. I think that's in L.A. If I remember correctly, so I actually want to go to that as well. I have seen people post outside of that. Um, so yeah, we are going to cover more stuff in Salem next week, which is going to be super fun. And it's funny because I went to a specific location and went on a tour and then I asked about the ghost stories afterwards and you could hear the people just go, they just internally groan that I asked them about ghosts, but they gave me a little bit, they gave me some stories, so it'll be good. Stephanie says bucket list is Key West meeting Robert the doll. I actually just finished my Robert the doll episode. So stay on the lookout for that one. That'll be a new curse possession episode. Next time we're dropping our curse possessions episode. I think that'll be in two weeks. Um, but coming up, we have, like we mentioned Salem part two, and then we have uh, what's the next horror movie review. The next one that will be dropping is trick or treat. Uh, you might see, you might see Halloween ends out there. We saw that recently. That's going to drop. Probably going to drop that one out of rotation. Just drop it on YouTube. So expect to see that. Yeah. But yeah, we have a lot of fun stuff coming up. We're halfway through spooky month. 
Um, we have one more October episode, but that doesn't mean we're stopping because we don't take weeks off and yeah. we just power through. Doesn't matter. Jesse goes on vacation. He jumps on the stream, ruins it. And <laughs> that's what we do here at Hometown Ghost Stories. We keep going. At least we tried. At least can, we tried. I, can I ask why you're like trying to jump in my window box as someone um, described it? I know. I'm, I'm just... Like, what is happening right now? It is... How weird would it be if you just saw Jesse? If I just rolled right in Rob's screen, it turns out we've been in one room the entire time. Yeah. I don't know. I've been doing the lean. I don't know. Yeah, it's real weird. I'm show more of the background. Brennan Barrier says, uh, check out Terrifier 2. We did. That review is up on YouTube. Yeah, we put that one up there. Yeah. So, uh, full disclosure, that is part of Bloody Disgusting produced that movie. So, we are part of that company, but we gave our... We, we basically also produced the movie, basically. Yeah, that's how it works, right? <laughs> Osmosis, like... You're welcome. Yeah. Yes. You're welcome, folks. So... Uh, yeah, I actually haven't seen that one yet, so I'm excited to see Terrifier 2. Oh, you um, want to tell you how it ends? No, I don't. I actually haven't watched your review yet. I produced your audio and didn't even uh, listen to it. That's how much effort I put in, guys. All right, uh, real quick, I want to thank the uh, patrons. So we have uh, our VIPs, Jimmy H., Justin T., Lisa J., Mom and Pops, Wilkins, Stephen V., and Demon King. Welcome in all those VIPs. Other patrons, we also have Jake V., excuse me, Jake V., Mike B., Stephanie A., Sydney B., Sarah, Dave, uh, Dave Loves Bacon R, Kiralee J, Anthony Angry Dave Rocks T, Brandon W, Captain McSlugs, Cody G, Matthew T, Mariah M, Papa Squatch, Rachel B, Sarah W, Soph M, Hooper, and Mark M. Thank you guys so much. If you want to get yourself on this exclusive list for as little as $3 a month, you can join the Patreon, get early access to stuff, ad-free episodes, and bonus stuff, bonus content, bunch of early access, bonus movie reviews, all that kind of stuff. It's a fun time over at Patreon. And you get to join in the pre Patreon pre-show hangout, which we had earlier today. It was a good time. Um, had a few new faces in there, which was awesome. And always a good time taking a look at you people and talking to you kind of candidly, which is very fun. And so, we have a merch store now. Did I mention that yet? Jump in. No. We have a merch store. Um, do we want to just, don't you, I'll share my screen. How about that? How about we just show off some of our merch that we are slowly building? It's not completely done, so the website's going to look a little bit off, but we do have beanies, T-shirts, mugs, crop tops for Dave. Um, mm -hmm. We have pullover hoodies, zip-up hoodies, so we are building a little bit of a merch catalog. So if you want a Hometown Ghost Story shirt or a hoodie, Right now, we are making no money on these. It's just we're throwing them out there for people that want them. They I believe if you just plug in just hometowngrowthstories.com, it re redirects you right over there, right? Right. And then you just click on collections, and you can see everything that's available. But, yeah, we uh, we have some stuff. And, again, we are making basically $0 on this. It is more about just, like, if you, people were requesting merch, so we did it at cost. Yep, and you get that wonderful logo with the hometown ghost stories with Bucky McHat the ghost. Bucky McHat. There he is. There he is. Put a hat on him. We got to do one logo with just a hat on him. We do. We do have to make a we got to get him a hat. But yeah, that's about uh that's going to do it for me. Reviews. Yeah. Any what? any new reviews? five-star reviews let's read them next uh, week. we're going on an hour and a half here let's yeah we'll, we'll hit that on part two yeah thank you guys for tuning in so much uh shout out to everyone who joined in the live chat we'll be back next tuesday 
uh, for a live episode and tune, tune in on Friday for some bonus content as well as I think Sunday we're dropping bonus content as well. We'll see you guys next time. Have a good one.